You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. If you missed any of the first hour, you can check it out on the podcast page. If you miss any hours of any show, you can check it out on the podcast page, 710sports.com. Scroll downward there. You can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever it is you get your podcasts on. We're there for you. You can uh, listen to the show on the 710 Sports app. It is powered by the Dubin Law Group. And uh, coming up in this hour, we take a look at the biggest questions facing each and every playoff team as the playoffs get underway in a matter of hours, just a couple hours. Yeah, and uh, if you have any of your, any big questions you think, if we missed anything you think we're not talking about, 710-710, text in when we get into that segment, or any segment, really. We're here for you. We are. We're always here to answer your questions. If you've got them, we'll... Try and come up with an answer. Yeah, we'll do. We'll, we'll, do, we'll say Your something. Best. Who knows? Yeah. What we're saying. It's best. Yeah, if we if we don't say anything, that's that's a win. It is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's coming up in this hour. Also, we'll we'll talk some Husky basketball. Uh-oh. Uh Coming up at ten forty-five. I gotta Curtis say, Curtis has some takes. I, I had Let's some go. takes yesterday on Tom, Jake, and Stacy. That yeah, I, I I kind of blacked out at the end of it. I that, loved it. Um and I was like when we came in this morning to do our show prep I was like Curtis we got to talk about this on the yeah, show I need back. that juice I need that juice again I'll try and dial it back up at ten forty five but uh, let's get into this hour's big three number one coaching carousel in the NFL it has been cranked back up Giants Browns Panthers and likely the Cowboys will all be searching for someone new to lead them in twenty twenty and beyond one team. It's already filled their spot. That'd be Washington. They chose former Panthers head coach Ron Rivera. In typical Cowboys fashion, they have taken the NFL news cycle hostage. Even on a weekend, they're not playing in wildcard weekend. Still no concrete decision on Jason Garrett's future. They've interviewed Marvin Lewis for their head coaching job. They're about to interview Mike McCarthy. But yet, Jason Garrett is still an employee of the Cowboys through, what is it, January 14th. They have until that date to really make a decision on what they're going to do. Also, in Cleveland, they are interviewing Robert Sala, 49ers defensive end, or def- defensive coordinator. The Panthers, it looks like the Panthers and Giants sort of jockeying for Baylor head coach Matt Rule's services. Matt Rule turning down an offer to interview for the Cleveland Browns job. It's hot potato. It's it's musical chairs right now. Who, Where are these guys going to sit when the music stops? We'll let you know if, if they even make a decision. Number two. It is NFL wildcard weekend. Maybe you've got a whole slate of football prepared today and tomorrow. Just relaxing on your couch, going out either way. First up today, we get the number five Bills at the number four Texans, 135 a kickoff on ESPN. J.J. Watt's going to make his return after being sidelined since week eight with a torn pectoral. Later today, another AFC matchup, number six Titans against the number three Patriots on CBS. The Pats lost their shot at a first-round bye after losing to Miami in the final week of the season because any given Sunday, right? And sometimes the Pats find ways to win uh, these games to uh, within their division that are crazy. The last wildcard game uh, the Pats played in 
was in 2009, and they lost to Baltimore. In Belichick's tenure, the team is 0-3 on making it to the Super Bowl when playing on Wild Card Weekend. So that's just a fun little tidbit to think about. Tomorrow morning, 10.05 a.m., little a breakfast game on Fox. The number three Saints hosting the number six Vikings in NOLA. Yet another no-call uh, DPI hurting the Saints, but that one came in the Seahawks-Niners game because uh, because of the wins by the Packers and the Niners, the Saints were pushed out of the first round by opportunity. Finally, the real game of the weekend, the number five Seahawks traveling to the number four Eagles to the link. The Hawks defeated the Eagles 17-9 to earlier this season. They've dropped three of their last four while Philly is riding a four-game little win streak, albeit against their third division. Uh, but into the rematch here, both teams hampered by injuries. It's going to be an interesting one. 1.40 p.m. Pacific time uh, on NBC or listen right here. Pre-game show starts at 10 a.m on 710 ESPN Seattle. Number three. Just a quick NBA break in our NFL news. Lakers continuing to roll atop the Western Conference as they dismantled the New Orleans Pelicans last night. 123-113. AD dropping 46 points in that one. Big uh, against his former team. Tacoma's finest former dog and current wizard Isaiah Thomas ejected two minutes into the game after making contact with a referee. So you hate to see that having a kind of tumultuous few few weeks as he uh, went after a fan in the crowd who was uh, cursing at him. So a little bit of an interesting week for IT over there. Uh, the 76ers and uh, Lydia's favorite Let's team. Let's go. Uh, unfortunately falling from their fourth straight game. Longest losing streak in a few years since <laughs> December of 2017. It seemed to hit Joel Embiid pretty hard, speaking out against it yesterday and talking about how his team needs to get back on track after a 118-108 loss to the Houston Rockets. Eastern Conference update, Bucks still on top of the division over there. The Lakers starting to pace out ahead in what has become quite entertaining to me to watch Laker fans who are Kobe stands have to suffer with LeBron James bringing this team back to relevancy, back into the championship discussion, and... Uh, they are what they are because of LeBron James right now. And uh, you kind of tough, t- jagged little pill to swallow if you're a, a Kobe stan. I've been, I've been listening to some NBA podcasts, and like one of them did a mailbag episode this week, and it was a Laker fan. They, they emailed and said, like, oh, I hate watching this team win with players that aren't homegrown guys like Kobe, who was, you know, played his entire career with the Lakers. It's like, Really, you're tired of your team winning? Like you yes. guys have been terrible for about five, six years now, and all of a sudden you're back to winning. And you're like, oh, I don't know oh. if they did it the right way. That's the ultimate first class, first world yeah. fan problem. You got to win the Kobe way, which is to ride the coattails of someone else. Yeah. <laughs> it's to get and a then when player you're good- better than him yeah. on the team, and then when you're good enough, just have some really good role players around you that can help fill out, fill in the spaces. God. I love Ugh. it. Lakers I love fans. it. Yeah. Get out of here. Miss yeah. me with that, Lakers fans. That is this hour's big three. Some honorable mentions. Uh, the Rose Bowl, Oregon beating Wisconsin 28-27. Not a good look. Yeah, it was a good look for the Pac-12. Not a good look right. for Husky and Coog fans. One around. thing that brings us all together, the Arizona, the Coog yeah. fan, yeah. and the Husky fan in the room, that it's the not liking to see Oregon win. But, I, hey, Pac-12, go, you go. I will say after the Utah embarrassing game True. against Texas, it Whoa. shifted my feelings Gosh. on the Rose Bowl. I wanted, I think, Wisconsin to win a game like this the reverse way. 
and uh, just so the Pac-12 was competitive. But then I was just like, okay, I, I we need Oregon to win this game. <laughs> we can't have another year where the top teams look embarrassing in the bowl games, and Utah, who could have made the playoff, looked absolutely out of place. Some big draft decisions in college football. Chase Young, Ohio State defensive end, he has declared for the draft. Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa, he will announce his draft decision this Monday. Uh, and then back to the NBA, uh, former NBA commissioner David Stern passing away this week at the age of 77. He suffered a brain hemorrhage in mid-December uh, and then three weeks later passed away. He leaves a very, very complicated legacy, mm-hmm. specifically in Seattle. Now, what he did for the game of basketball as a total, Tremendous. He probably the most successful commissioner in American sports history. Grew the sport, grew mm-hmm. the popularity of the sport, unlike anything else. But here in Seattle, his legacy is that the Sonics don't exist anymore. And that happened under his watch, and he allowed it to happen. And I think he got some satisfaction out of sticking it to the city of Seattle. And And if you're a Sonics fan and you haven't really had any kind of reaction to Stern's passing... I mean, that's – I can't say I blame you. Yeah, and I mean, the Oklahoman talking about it in OKC, talking about how Stern was the main reason why Oklahoma City got the thunder. And, look, um, someone lost their life. Yes. Yeah, you know what I mean? People. Let's take one step back here. And it, it, we lost our team. I'm currently wearing a Sonic starter jacket. They're the my favorite team of all time, but – there are things like life and death that are a little bit bigger than sports. And this is one of those moments where I understand the hate I'm, I, and the, the criticisms that he has, especially here in Seattle. But there's a time and a place, and right now is not the time to, to, to be kind of going after David Stern and what happened here. Um, I think in time we will get a team back, and the Sonics will return. But now is not the moment to, to have the pitchforks and, and the uh, the torches out to go after David Stern and let his legacy lie as it may. And then we can have the discussions about the Sonics and the things there. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Uh, how about some funnier news? or Well, a lighter story. Yonis Cespedes, oh. the... Uh, Outfielder who hasn't played really in a couple seasons for the Mets, dealing with plenty of injuries to his knees and his ankles and whatnot. Well, apparently his injury in the spring, this last spring, where he was forced to miss the entire 2020 season, or the 2019 season, I should say, happened in a wild boar incident at his ranch in Florida. How how many... (laughs) Well, we're lucky it's just one feral hog because we know about 30 to 50 feral hogs have been loose at one point this past year. So, uh, yeah, just a wild injury. And what a career Cespedes has had so far in Major League Baseball. This kind of headline, you would not expect it with any other player. No. And, I mean, his journey. With him, it adds to the the lore lore of, of him. Like. I just can't wait for the movie <laughs> on his life. And I hope like he just wins an MVP World Series at some point so it just keeps adding to the, the craziness that is 
the things around his career, I guess. I hope he comes back. I think baseball is a lot. Yeah. It is way more fun with personalities like him in the game. I mean, he walks up to the Lion King circle of life. How can you beat that? He wears that neon or neon yeah. green sleeve and just the huge chains. Let the kids play. Mm-hmm. And he hits bombs. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. And he's got a cannon for an arm. There's no cooler thing to have than, you know, the ability to hit bombs and have a cannon for an arm. Yep. Maybe facts. not in that order. Big facts. Maybe in that order. <laughs> Coming up, what are the biggest questions facing each wildcard team as we enter the wildcard round of the NFL playoffs? We answer that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. It is wild card weekend, a weekend which I think might be the toughest to predict among all weekends in the playoffs. I mean, it's got wild in the title. Wild card, baby. Why not live up to it? Cut the brakes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But you look at just the slate of games that are going to happen. Let's start in the AFC. And today you've got, what is it, the Texans and Bills leading it off in the uh, Houston Texans Invitational, the early game (laughs) that they somehow always find themselves playing in. Six postseason trips the Texans have made. All six of them have started in the Saturday afternoon time slot on ESPN. That is bizarre, but also it's kind of now become tradition. It's like the Lions on Thanksgiving. Is it? Why? Yeah, <laughs> I know. They're they're just good enough to make the playoffs. Right. Not good enough to get the first round bye in the AFC. But also a major market in America. And a major football market in America. Yes. But also not the biggest football market even in their own state. No. But they they happen to find themselves in this same time spot and somebody that they have desperately needed this season they haven't had because of injury for the third time in four seasons now he's missed a giant chunk of the year jj watt but he comes back uh he is back today against the bills he was asked in his press conference earlier this week uh what it's like to return from injury here's what he had to say i'm really excited about it i mean i'm really really excited you know anytime you're away from the game and uh, you get a chance to go back into it you, you have so much appreciation so much excitement for it um, and th- this is no different. I'm so excited to get back out there with my guys, to get back out there and try and help the team win. I mean, it's all about the team, and that's that's what I'm so excited about is just being at practice, being able to practice and get excited and joke around and just normal stuff. I just I love being around the guys, and so I just can't wait to be out there in the game and to do whatever I can to help this team win. Now the Seahawks find themselves in a spot where they're getting Clowney back, Quandre Diggs, two guys who – have missed a couple of weeks with injury. J.J. Watt has missed a long time. Yeah, week eight he left with a pectoral. How do we expect him to be this week against the Bills? Uh, you know, eight weeks from his last game action, he only started practicing, what, this last week? That's a tall ask of somebody, but it is J.J. Watt who is, you know, his production is superhero level. It seems almost like he he only has one speed. He only has one level that he goes at, which is, I think, why he's been injured so frequently the past couple of seasons. I don't think he's the type of guy that you say to, hey, you know, let's tone it back, let's play 85%, or let's put you on a limited snap count. I, I just, I, 
I see him going at one speed at all times. Yeah, I, I think he will definitely go at top speed, and but I just wonder how effective that True. top speed is going to be. At he cannot be close to a hundred percent, and no one is in the playoffs, and and it's an illusion to think anyone's even maybe in the nineties or eighty percent. Like it's just such a grind an NFL season, but. To come back after that much time off, he's had so many surgeries. I mean, he's more machine than man at this point, honestly. Like, he is a, he's a terminator. Well, he plays with that huge brace on his elbow. Cause he right. Had, and imagine that brace is going to be even bigger now because he's dealing with the pectoral. Injury. And I'm pretty sure that knee, I think that's a knee brace that he had specifically altered to fit his arm. Jeez. So it's like he's, and I, to his credit, He's going to go out there and gut it out for his team, and I tip my cap to him, and that's the guy you want to root for. But I just don't know, I and I don't think he'll be that effective. Yeah, you they're definitely missing Jadevian Clowney, I would think, at this point. And you we've watched, I think it was that Patriots game, where they did get some pass rush from unlikely contributors, including Jacob Martin and uh, Barkevius Mingo a little bit in that game. Uh, the Those two players going to Houston as part of the Clowney trade, but... Yeah, I would I would think that they'll they'll be they'll be needing him as much as possible this weekend. Uh, and then the team that they're facing, the Buffalo Bills, who have kind of popped up really out of nowhere. They made the postseason a couple of years ago. They're trending in the right direction as an organization. Uh, Sean McDermott has has built a pretty good foundation there. Their defense has been outstanding this season. And now you kind of wonder if Josh Allen is the is the quarterback that's going to take them, not just here in the wild card round, but years down the road. Is he somebody that they can trust uh, to be a really good quarterback for them? I think I'll be honest. I didn't think he was going to be that good coming in the NFL. I mean, he played in a run first system in college and only completed about fifty percent of his passes when being asked to throw. Now he's become a pretty decent starting quarterback in the NFL, and it's only year two. I think it's the equivalent of basketball not being a good shooter, but being good at everything else. I think the accuracy in the passing is being almost compared to the same way. And Josh Allen, I think you're right, Curtis. I had the same expectations for him that he would just sort of be okay in the NFL. But you're seeing him grow and get more accurate and get more decisive in the pocket and He's a great playmaker, and he can get outside of the pocket like Cam Newton and make physical plays and drop his shoulder onto people and, and punish defenders. So it'll be interesting to see what type of QBs sort of get drafted like Josh Allen, i.e. Jacob Eason. Can he grow into a Josh Allen type in the NFL, put some weight on, become this physical force at quarterback, and potentially help a team like the Bills who just needed this one piece for so long and finally, you can see what type of success they have when they get it. And that's that's the early game today. The nightcap, Patriots against the Titans. And he, the Patriots this year, they got off to the 8-0 start. Everybody kind of assumed they were going to run away with home field advantage. In the AFC, they find themselves playing on wildcard weekend for the first time since I graduated high school. 2009. Oof. <laughs> yeah. 11 years ago was the last time they played on this weekend. Decade challenge. And <laughs> yeah, what where were we the last time the Patriots Which played a, on this? Which was a weekend? loss by the way, I believe. To Baltimore. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Um you look at New England, they are at a weird point in their franchise's existence and that 
Tom Brady probably doesn't have a whole lot of time left. Is this, I mean, we've asked this question, not specifically as a show, but just as a society (laughs) over the last six or seven years. Is this the last go of it for the Patriots? Is this the last time they make a run at a Super Bowl? I feel like, though, this time may be the most realistic time for that to happen, for this to be the last run for Belichick and for Brady, or at least for Brady in New England. Yeah, and it it just would feel like when the Patriots didn't have the pieces and the stars that Brady would step up and put up the numbers that they needed, and he'd find ways to distribute. But they haven't really done that on offense this year, and defensively this team has carried the offense so, Which is a weird place to be because the last three Super Bowls that the Patriots were in, they had a bottom half defense. Yeah, 16th one year when they lost to the Eagles, they had the 31st ranked defense in DVOA in terms of DVOA. So it's just a really different identity for them heading into the playoffs this year. I'm kind of like, I'm mystified. I don't really know what to expect. Yeah, yeah and I think there's, I, I've heard the Chargers mentioned as a team that Tom Brady could possibly play for because they're desperate to sell tickets when they move into their new stadium next season. Uh, they don't really have somebody that L.A. people can rally behind and, and you know find an interest in. It'd be reminiscent of like David Beckham going to the L.A. Galaxy, yeah. Yeah, where it was like, oh, this you know super-duper star comes to L.A. on the very tail end of his career just to kind of bow out. And say, California kid, though. It's true. He's from the, I think he's from the San Francisco area. Yeah, San Mateo. Yeah, I don't know where that is. So. Also a <laughs> uh, draft pick. This is how old Tom Brady is. He was a draft pick of the Montreal Expos. Sweet. Yeah. Like, nice. So great. What a claim to fame. Yeah. I love it. Oh, uh, and the... then the team they're going up against, the Tennessee Titans, who got <laughs> off to a really slow start this season. But as as we all predicted, when you turn it over to Ryan Tannehill, good things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh or at least that's what the it's what that's what I'm told. Yeah. At least but Tennessee with a prime opportunity to snuff out the Patriots torch here today. You've got Derrick Henry who ha, who led the league in rushing this year. Beast. Mike Vrabel very familiar with the Patriots and just all that they are. Taylor you wrote down here on our show notes, can the student defeat the teacher? Can the uh the grasshopper? Yeah, I mean, if if it is going to happen, this is one of the best shots a wild card team may have. You're right, with the leading rusher, the comeback player of the year most likely, and Ryan Tannehill. So we're going to see. We're going to find out a lot about this Titans team. And if they win, it feels like we're going to have a, a different conversation about the AFC South next year and just how good potentially these this division can be with the Titans and the Texans having two teams make it. And the trajectory of the Patriots conversation will be very interesting, too, because you, yep. they have this investigation still leaning over their head with mm-hmm. the, the uh, potential cheating. Which Ian Rappaport this morning reported that the Patriots are likely to face a punishment for that. There's just no word on what that punishment could so be. So what a, a turnaround for them this year. That, that, that could be ahead. Well, Ryan Tannehill at Hero Game. Let's go. Legend game. <laughs> Ryan Tannehill, America's darling today, yeah. at least hopefully. But, uh, yeah, those are some of the biggest questions facing each uh, AFC wildcard team right now. Coming up, we get into the NFC picture. What will the Vikings do with their head coaching situation? Could that have a big impact on what goes down tomorrow? We talk that next, Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up at 11, the biggest questions facing the Seahawks as they head into their wild card round matchup against the Eagles. That's a half hour from now. Have we overlooked the Eagles? That's also coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. Right now in the NFC, you've got the Saints and Vikings going up in the morning game tomorrow. Some breakfast football, 10 a.m. start. Viking Saints from New Orleans. And Minnesota right now, they're in a tricky spot because... They could be looking for a new head coach soon. Dan Graziano of ESPN, he was on with, I think, Get Up yesterday, talking about how Zimmer could be a possibility with the Cowboys. I think it'll be interesting to watch what happens with Mike Zimmer, the Vikings head coach. And I do not think necessarily that it would be a situation where the Vikings would want to move on. But Mike Zimmer is a coach that Jerry Jones thinks very highly of. And we've seen in the past teams be able to work out deals where maybe you, you go ahead and make a trade, trade a pick, get the coach out of his contract. So I would look out for that if the Vikings were to lose to the Saints on Sunday, which I think a lot of people expect. Uh, and, and I think it would not be surprised. There's a strong sense in that building, from what I've been told, that the defense was really kind of the most disappointing part yes. of the season. And they might want a different philosophy going forward on that side of the ball. So if Zimmer's coaching for his future... Maybe that gives Minnesota a little more urgency, but also if he's got kind of one foot out the door headed towards Dallas, I mean, does that give him less of an less of an incentive to go all out tomorrow? That's a great question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I honestly, I don't know. Like, and I don't even know if that's a good hire for the, the Cowboys. Right? Like. There's just so many questions I have about this situation and what do, what are we doing here? Well, how do we get here? All these types of things. <laughs> like Zimmer's personality, he is very red-faced. Uh, he's known for swearing like a sailor. He's just somebody that is so old school with it. And I could see why Jerry Jones would have that kind of appeal, sort of the opposite of what Jason Garrett is. Jason Garrett not really known as like this dictator type head coach but also Zimmer's a guy who doesn't look like he takes direction that well and that's all yeah. Jerry Jones gives direction uh micromanagement <laughs> essentially I wish Jerry Jones probably wishes he could hire himself as the head coach and yeah. wouldn't get backlash from it because that's what I feel like he wants to do he's at practice every single day and they I should just, just do it right just go for it. Hire let him one go of your sons. It. I mean, just why not? Just let him coach. Nepotism too. Why not? already a problem there, probably. So let's let's go. Just coach, do it. GM owner. Woof. <laughs> that's like uh, that's like some nineties early Disney movie. Like yeah, it's like Little Big League. Yeah, he's where, everything. Yeah, he just named himself the the manager. Great movie though. It, it is. <laughs> they played it at uh, T-Mobile Park this this last summer. Yeah, we're the bad guys because we're so good. It, yeah. Which was odd to see at T-Mobile Park, the Mariners, in a villain role. Yeah. They do make the World Series, I think, in that movie, though. Hey, I'll Tight. take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Sweet. We made it one way. Uh, but the Vikings, they also, they're, who knows what's going to happen with their head coach, but also offensively, Dalvin Cook, who got off to one of the best starts I can remember for a running back, he has really cooled off. 
And I think there are a lot of fantasy football managers out there who would like to have a word with him. Yeah, I mean, missing week 12, terrible week 15, and then no 16-17. So, you know, what what sort of Dalvin Cook will they get? But still uh, 1,100 rushing yards this season. So nothing to scoff at, but what Cook shows up? What kitchen or what Cook will we get in the kitchen Mm. this weekend? Mm. Hopefully one that... uh... Not Freddy. Yeah. (laughs) Not a Freddy kitchen. You look at the NFC playoff picture. If Minnesota wins, then that means Seattle would then go to Green Bay for Mm -hmm. round two. Not ideal. If New Orleans wins, Seattle goes to San Francisco and plays the 49ers, a team that they have had varying amounts of success against this season. Played both games very close, coming up the victor the first time in San Francisco, so they know that they can win there. Is it... Is it obvious who we should be rooting for tomorrow between New Orleans and Minnesota? Yeah. I mean, look, you always want chaos and you always want, I guess, the big teams to go down. But it just feels like you know what you're getting with the nine. The evil you know is better than the evil you don't know. And at this point in the playoffs, I'll take the evil I know. And I know the 49ers and what that game's going to be like and how it's going to come down to the final series, maybe even the final play of that game. And. You like those odds. You like the Seahawks in a situation like that. So I, you probably want the the Vikings to win, but realistically the Saints is probably a better path for the Seahawks. And Green Bay is one of those teams that I wouldn't mind playing anywhere other than Green Bay. Yeah. Yes. In December like, or January. Like, honest, like they're the inferior team in my mind, and I don't feel like their record is – indicative of what team they actually are because they've been so mercurial this season and I don't mind that matchup but playing there is just so tough like speaking of hostile road environments I know the CX have been great on the road this year but can they overcome that road environment Lambeau has been a house of horrors for the Seahawks Mm -hmm. oh I can't remember the last time they won in Lambeau Field Uh, but I'll say this I think the Packers their personnel and just statistically, they are probably the most similar team to the Seahawks. And Green Bay, if you watch that game against the Lions in Week 17, they didn't really have much business winning that game. Detroit was the better team for the majority of that one. Green Bay managed to sneak it out at the very end. If I'm the Seahawks and I look at who I would want to face, I think, yeah, you would. the road to the Super Bowl would probably be best if it went San Francisco, then Green Bay, because if to me it almost kind of feels like you can relax a little bit after if you beat the 49ers in the divisional round and have to go up against the Packers in the championship round because Green Bay, yeah, they're thirteen and three, but Aaron Rodgers has not put up that typical Aaron Rodgers kind of season. He's gone over three hundred yards just a handful of times this year when we all thought he was going to be putting up five thousand fifty five hundred yards because Matt LaFleur is this quarterback guru, or so we've been told. But the Packers have been, I think they have not been as good as their record indicates, which 13-3 and three is no joke, but also they just they leave a lot to be desired. Absolutely, yeah. I think I, I'm not scared of facing off against them, but as, it would not be ideal to go to, go to that road environment. Yeah, 
Uh, if you look at both of those places, uh, if you look at the Saints' dome potential situation or the Packers' Lambeau potential situation, look, you got to beat the best to be the best. So at some point, they're going to have to beat a really tough team on the road. And look, you got to win this weekend. And the Eagles might not be as tough as you think the Niners or the Viking or the Saints and the Packers may be, but can't overlook them. You cannot no. overlook them. And as we all know here in Seattle, uh, if you win a bad division, that doesn't mean anything when it comes to the playoffs. Nope. Because you can beat teams, as we learned in 2000, uh, the 2010 playoffs, when you had Charlie Whitehurst or winning that Rams game and then Marshawn Lynch and Matt Hasselbeck beating the Saints in the wild card round, the defending champion New Orleans Saints. I, I mean, you cannot afford to take the Eagles lightly because of the road they took to get to the postseason. They're in the postseason, and like anybody can beat anybody. There is no team that is immune to losing at any point in the postseason. Well, i got some breaking news for you. What do you got for me? Color combination. Oh, see oh here we let's go. go. They'll I'm... be wearing the whites on top and the blue pants on bottom. Okay, that's good. Good combo. Classy. That's a good good road look. I like that road look. It's a good look. playoff look. Yeah. Russell looks good. He looks clean in the white and blue. Yeah. It's just a, like a proper, it just feels feels very right. Best combo the Seahawks have. I'm, I think white over blue. White over blue? Personally. Yeah. 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 I might vote yes. Yeah. I would go with that too. It's a good, it's a good clean look. Yeah, Worst just, combo? Hot take. Blue on blue. Yeah. Yeah. God, but the blue on blue looks tough sometimes when they get like, it gets wet and it's almost like dark navy when it gets like really wet and they're like, Getting after it. I like that too. Text in. Text your in. Hot yeah. favorite white, white on white. White on gray. Gray on gray, gray, is, on gray is, is classy too. But also, you know, gray is just cool. It is. It is. Uh, coming up in this uh, next hour, we got some big Seahawks questions we still have left to answer. That's coming up at 11 o'clock. But the Huskies, they fall to UCLA on Thursday night. Does this open up a can of worms for the Huskies and their bid to get back to the NCAA tournament? We talk that next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. We're here getting ready for the playoff game. Having a nice round table. Nice table. Good nice. table. Yep. Really good. Actually, a great table, to it's be honest. It's my favorite table. Yeah. And we respect wood, so this yeah. is a wooden yep. table. Or it is. Laminate. Nice laminate. We're going to go for a little diversion here, because on Thursday, the Huskies <laughs> fell to UCLA. On a, like a, It was... How do you even explain losing to UCLA? And I'm getting a little fired up like I Let did yesterday. Like, I'm still not over it. Like... People think my criticism of the Huskies is because I don't like the Huskies. No, it's not that. It's that I think this team can be so much better than what they are. They, there was a lot of hope coming into this season where we all thought they were going to be, you know, possible Sweet 16 team. Jeff Goodman, of like one of the premier college basketball analysts out there, he had the Huskies all the way in his final four in the preseason. Guys, I look at this Husky team right now. I don't see more than four players I would like hang my hat on, which is, I mean, 
if you're going to win in college basketball, especially this time of year in January where it is it is important to stack wins, especially in the conference play, but also you can't run rotations out of six and seven guys and expect to be healthy come March. Is this different than you were feeling about this team a year ago with the roster that they had? Yes. I think this time last year, it was almost a foregone conclusion they were going to get to the NCAA tournament. This year, though, it looks like it's going to be an uphill battle, and it was not helped in any way by their loss to UCLA. I think that goes down as a bad loss, which is something that the Huskies had had avoided this season in their three previous losses. But losing to UCLA, a team that had had three bad losses coming into their game against the Huskies, a game at home that was avoidable. The loss was avoidable, and the Huskies fell. And maybe it was because of their youth, And which this is a very young Husky team, which is in stark contrast to the last two Husky teams we've seen, where they were... They had a lot of veteran guys. You had Matisse Thibel, one of the best veteran leaders this conference has ever seen. You had the Pac-12 Player of the Year last year in Jalen Noel. Noah Dickerson and David Crisp, those guys were battle-tested. This year's team does not have that guy who's been through the fire before, or at least in a starring role going through the fire. Nas Carter was on the team a year ago. But right now I look at the Huskies, and other than Isaiah Stewart, I mean – what is there right now that gives you hope heading into the conference season? I think every year team chemistry has to fluctuate because you have different ages, different experience levels that you're dealing with. And you mentioned you had a lot of players that had played together for four years. They were a certain type. There's just when you know that you are not a one and done or you, you know you aren't the star per se of a team. There's a certain element, I would say, of almost like selflessness that goes along with that. Not saying that a lot of one-and-done players don't have that as well, but it's also just knowing that your future here is limited is a different mentality than someone that goes in thinking, I'm going to be here definitely for four years. So I think that they lost a lot of that. It was a lot of their scoring. So from a basic standpoint, stat standpoint, too, that left the building. But now you kind of are rebuilding almost the team chemistry from scratch, it feels like. Because, yeah, who is that one leader other than Isaiah Stewart in the way that he, he leads by example of his play and also generally seems to be a very selfless person and player? We hear that from his coach. And any, in any game interview he's had, he's now won, what, three Pac-12 honors? He, he just talks about his teammates. He just talks about, well, they were feeding me this and they were playing really selflessly. So I think he leads by example, but it's hard for someone to come in as a freshman and be the, the leader of the team. And I also think one thing to look at if you're a dog fan to find some sort of solace in the performances lately is you look at their schedule the rest of the year. They only play Oregon once this year. They play Arizona in a few weeks, the it, end of January, and then the last game of the season. Yeah. So uh, last game of the season is in Tucson. Yep. Yeah, uh, in March. So they're spreading out their tough matchups in the Pac-12 because to me – Right now, it only feels like Oregon and Arizona are those teams that are legitimate every week, every game threats. Colorado, Colorado they, yeah. they showed up uh, on Thursday night beating Oregon in Boulder, which that's one of the toughest road trips in the conference. And they were picked to win the Pac-12 preseason, weren't they? Yeah, Oregon and Colorado, I think they were like a one-vote difference mm-hmm. in the entire Pac-12, but... Yeah, Colorado, they're they're a lot like what the Huskies were a year ago. A lot of seniors on the team, a lot of guys that have played together for a while. They've got a really good coach. I think Tad Boyle is 
is underrated in the Pac-12 among you know as good coaches. Colorado, their only loss, they have two losses this year. One was at Kansas, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, that's no easy place to play. Another one was Northern Iowa at home. That was kind of unforgivable. The toughest place. I mean, Lawrence Field and Northern Iowa. Those yeah. are like the two most difficult atmospheres. But Colorado, they also beat number 13 Dayton. They beat number four Oregon. They're, they're pretty good. I, I think they're well within range of, you know, probably having like a number four or number five seed if they do win the conference and win out. Um, but right now, I look at the Huskies and, and just how they're going to go about, you know, getting wins in Pac-12 play. I, I think to me, the biggest issue with this team, at least my biggest issue with this team, is their lack of depth. They go about seven deep, and one of those seven guys is Sam Timmons, who is not someone who's going to get buckets. And when Jaden McDaniels, who has fouled out now four t- four different times this season, if he continues that trend. Who is going to be able to replace his offensive production from the bench spot? And right now, I don't see it. And there was something that the Huskies did earlier this season that really intrigued me that they were able to get more bench production from, and that was starting Jamal Bay at point guard and putting Quade Green off the bench. Green came in and did his normal thing, played starter minutes off the bench. But when you you have a starter starting caliber player coming off your bench going up against guys who are – not the starters on on other teams, I think that's a way for the Huskies to maybe get some production off that thin bench of theirs that's kind of, you know, that, that's not really, I guess, you don't have your five best players out there to start the game, but you can have your five best players out there deeper into the game. Yeah, I think to mention that the foul trouble too, it's it's a pattern of behavior. It's not just one player too. We've seen they, they play aggressively. Um, uh, there's a lot of people on Twitter that could argue certain calls that uh, didn't go their way. But at this point, it's a pattern of behavior. They play aggressively, which is good. But reining in some of the emotion part of it so that you can keep your best players in the game is going to be huge. That is also kind of a, a maturity and a learning thing and a learning curve that they're going to have to deal with. Yeah, and Quade Green leading the team in assists right now at 5.3. So you need... If you can't get that sort of spark with him on the court, you use him off the bench and get that sort of artificial injection of energy in, when you're changing the lineup to sort of keep the flow of the game going. So it's just going to be really interesting to see that Bay-Green balance going forward and what what that will do for this dog team and how potentially Green off the bench might provide something different than if he were to start for this team. They've got USC coming up on Sunday, a Trojans team that kind of picked near the middle of the Pac-12 this season. They've had a pretty up-and-down start to their year. They're 12-2, and which they got a win, a close win against Washington State. Haven't really played anybody of note this season. Uh, but Andy Enfield, he's gotten his team to the NCAA tournament before. Uh, they've got a really nice player in uh, Okongwu, who, you know, he's new to the program, and they're a team that I look at right now. I mean, yeah, Onyeka Okongwu, he's a freshman averaging 18-9, and nine, uh, sort of their version of Isaiah Stewart, at least their counter to that. Uh, I mean, USC, they're kind of a team that gets overlooked in the Pac-12 because when you ha- in the Pac-12 you always play the two schools closest geographically back-to-back. 
you know, USC, you kind of take a deep, uh, you, you're allowed to exhale after you play UCLA. Not this time. And if we learn anything from the game against UCLA is that, you know, Huskies got to close out and, and guard the three-point line because Jake Kyman had his way against the Huskies, 7 of 12 from deep. Uh, and that was really one of the stories as to why the Huskies fell. Yeah, and it just feels like, again, looking at the conference, that the Huskies have an opportunity to take advantage of some of the quote-unquote parity that they're, that they're having. The fact that Washington State already has nine wins, that's stunning to even a guy, <laughs> to a coog like me. So, And you just look down the entire conference. Colorado, 12 wins. Stanford, 12 wins. USC, 12 wins. Utah, 10 wins. Arizona, 10 wins. Oregon, 11 wins. Oregon State, 10 wins. So... There is an opportunity for these dogs to get some, again, quote-unquote quality wins, but they got to take advantage of the situations. You can't lose to a UCLA by two points. you got to be able to win those games, or else, come March, we're going to be looking back and talking about the missed opportunities for some of these young dogs and how they, they could have gotten there, but they just fell short because of certain opportunities missed. We're in year three of Mike Hopkins' tenure at Washington. Would we still consider this the honeymoon phase? How long uh, is it before we actually like have expectations for the Huskies that if they fall short of that, it's seen as a disappointment? I don't think you're in the honeymoon phase anymore with how quickly people can turn around programs. And he's, what, twice now Pac-12 Coach of the Year. I think you're officially out of the honeymoon phase, and, and the expectations are real. Plus, the, the job you've done recruiting is kind of almost similar to the Seahawks conversations we've been having this year. That The crowd that has wanted Pete Carroll's job at certain times because of small game decisions. It's because the expectation, though, is so great. You've set the bar at a certain level. And Mike Hopkins is now, what he's done in two years is so impressive that he set the bar that high. And to be honest. UW fans are always in the honeymoon phase. It doesn't really matter. Wow. Ooh, wow, wow, shots. wow. You know what? We, this shots, was all respectful shots, 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 uh, break up until now. We each I had respected to get our one shot in fandom. here. I had to get one shot in. Yeah, because your team. I don't have anything else. Shots, right? I don't, yeah, they're not making shots, so i gotta, <laughs> I got to shoot my shot. Yeah. Shea Serrano told me to shoot it, so I'm going to shoot it. <laughs> well, I'm glad we have that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Taylor. I already no, feel bad okay. about that. Coming no, up <laughs> in the next hour, have we overlooked the Eagles at all? Are we really super confident in beating Philadelphia tomorrow? We get into that about a half hour, or actually 15 minutes from now. But up next, what are the biggest questions the Seahawks have in facing Philadelphia? We get into that here at Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle.